good. Uh, verse 13, it says this, The valley gate repaired Hanan, and the inhabitants of Zenoah, they built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. And so we're going to look today at the valley gate, the valley gate. And so this is interesting. I want you to take a look at, uh, pull up my slides here, at this uh, picture. Well, if you look at this one right here, uh, this is a picture of the Jaffa gate. This is actually what it actually in that area today. You want to pull up that uh, modern picture? For some reason I'm not getting through. There it is. Uh, today, that's what it would look like in the same area. Of course, it's not what the valley gate looked like in Nehemiah's day, uh, nor the area around there, but that's what it looks like today. And they call it the Jaffa Gate in that same part of the city. Um, I have another... Um, do you have another graphic there? A map type thing? There you go. All right. And so what you see here, the Valley Gate, you see on top is the big bulb, and you have, we had the old gate up on top. But notice that the broad wall just continues way down. And then right there, where the blue line starts, there's the Valley Gate. Now that's interesting because the valley gate, why it's called the valley gate is because of the valley. And what you see is that stream there, that is the valley of Kidron. So it's interesting, from now on, what's happening is the gates that we're going to talk about are all facing the valley. So this is the first one, this is the first one that is really starting by the valley. And so it's, it's kind of uh, pertinent to us going forward looking at the next gates. Now, what is the valley gate talking about? Well, I think in essence, it's talking about humility. It's talking about humility. The valley gate symbolizes humility. In ancient times, this gate would lead to a steep downward slope. And at the bottom of that, atrocities could be seen like idolatry, the burning of corpses in the Kidron Valley. You see that. Uh, even Jesus would refer sometimes to Gehenna, where they'd burn the garbage. And we'll see that a little bit later. And that was burned in the valley. And that's all a part of that valley. And so uh, this gate um, was also repaired like the others. So it wasn't something that shouldn't have been there. It's something that should have been there. Uh, it's a reminder that we are full of sin. We must humble ourselves before Christ. And that Christ also humbled himself to come down to this world to die for our sins as seen in the book of Philippians. How it talks about that he took upon himself the form of man. And it's also the same place where Nehemiah began to do his assessment of the walls of Jerusalem. And so he actually left out of the valley gate. He went all the way around the bottom part along the edge of the Kidron Valley. He went all the way up to the fountain gate. And that's where he couldn't ride in. The Bible says that the beast that he was riding, I'll read that. I think I have it here. It says in uh, chapter 2, verse 13, And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered the, by the gate of the valley, and so returned. So he went out of the valley gate, went all the way around the bottom, turned around, came back, and went into the valley gate. 
So the valley gate was the beginning gate. This is the first gate of a series of gates. And it was the only one that was accessible at this time. And the other ones were all blocked with rubbish and different things like that. And so I think that's a little bit um, that has some symbolism there. Uh, This is where everything starts for us as believers, being used by God or doing anything for the Lord. We have to start with humility. We have to start going down into the valley. Uh, Many times we want to live our lives by going up. That's the way the world thinks. The world thinks I become successful by going up. But God says, no, you become successful by going down. And remember the the example I gave you in our anger series about the bird, you know, getting caught in, in the building. And the bird never thinks to come down to leave the door. They think that the only way they can actually escape is by going up. And all they do is end up going to another, another uh, uh, rafter in the same uh, building, but the roof keeps them from exiting. The only way to leave is through the door. And as much as you want them, the Lord says, hey, come on, guys, come down here. If you come through this, this, this valley gate, you come through this uh, way of humility, all the blessings await for you. All the things. It's interesting. When you look at this verse, it talks about a couple of people here. It talks about the name Hanan. Hanan was someone that built this gate. His name really means gracious or graciously given. And then it says that he actually built this gate with the inhabitants of Zenoah. Now that was a city that after the exile they came back the Israelites began to inhabit these cities all around. And this city was about 10 miles west of Jerusalem. And so the inhabitants of this city would come, and because they were on that side, they said, hey, let me fix this gate. Now, it's interesting because the name Zenoa means to be rejected, to cast off. It even means to stink. Imagine having a city name, Stinker, you know. But interesting how that, here you have stinkers, You have those that are uh, cast off, those that are rejected, coming to the gate and getting the help of, or helping Hanan, which means grace, to rebuild the gate. The Bible says that, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So it's interesting how this person's name that's working on the valley gate, his name means grace. And it's interesting that these people that were helping him were cast off and rejected. Do you understand that before God can really use you, you have to see yourself for what you really are? You are a stinker. <laughs> you really are. Now we, we look at, I don't want to be known as a stinker, or re, someone rejected, someone cast off. But that's what you were in your sin. Many times we come to God, we think that, oh no, God will use me because I'm great. No, he won't. He's going to use you when you understand really who you are before him. That's the, that's the message of this gate. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about this and about humility. And more specifically, I think we need to talk about the, the opposite of this, and that's pride. Pride. What is pride? I like this definition it's inornate self-esteem. The world is talking about self-esteem. We need to esteem ourselves. And boy, you got to build your self-esteem. And, uh, you know, I'm not against, you know, you know, esteeming yourself to the place where at least you don't think 
that you know you, you can leave your house you know in the day or you can you know you you are worthy enough to go out and work and and meet people and talk to people some people are so cast down in their own eyes that they don't even think they are worthy to talk to a person but self esteem is when you think that there's value in you apart from god there's value in you apart from god it's an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs or in distance, reserve or often in contempt of others, thinking down on others, others and so forth. When you're criticizing somebody and calling them down, what you really are doing is saying, I am proud. I'm proud of myself. Because if we would understand that we're all stinkers, <laughs> you know, we'd understand that we all are cast off and rejected. How could we look at the next one that's cast off and rejected and say, I'm better than you? Yeah, right. We all start at the bottom. Amen? And so anytime we get these attitudes towards people and look down our noses at people, that is a, a sign of pride in your life. And pride is a sin of the heart. We see that in Ezekiel chapter 28. It talks about Lucifer. And verse 13 of chapter 28, it says, Thus hast been in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was, or thou hast been in Eden the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. What a privilege. Thou wast per perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane, out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Wow. His beauty. You know, uh, thine heart was lifted up. I'm going to tell you something. Pride begins in your heart. And it doesn't even really have to be seen necessarily. God sees it before it's ever evidenced. And the judgment on pride came before it became evident. He judges the sin of the heart. The pride in the heart. So it's not just about what you do, but it's what you think. <laughs> As he thinketh in his heart, so is he, the Bible says. Perfection does not constitute pride. That means if you're perfect, doesn't mean you're proud. God is perfect, yet he is not prideful. Christ was perfect, yet he was not prideful. Lucifer was made perfect, but pride overcame him. See, pride is trusting in self rather than God. That's what it is. It's when you think that you are something in yourself. When God is not getting the glory 
from whatever it is that you are or what you do or what you say or, or whatever it is that you're involved with, if God is not getting the glory from it, then someone is every time. And we need to understand that glory comes from everything you do. It's just a matter of who gets it, God or yourself. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 5, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. When pride begins its root, we are becoming independent from God rather than dependent upon God. That's why every time, folks, I understand it's very uncomfortable to depend on, on God and other people. It's, it's, it, you think that somehow it makes you stronger or better to say you don't need anybody. And people do that all the time. I need you. You need me. We need each other. That's what the local church is about. The moment you become independent is the moment that you've started to allow pride to be lifted up in your heart because you, I don't need you. But we need you. You understand that? And so what we immediately do is because I don't need you, we began pulling ourselves back and keeping ourselves aloof of the church. And then we start looking down. And now we know that pride has taken its root. <laughs> you see. See, the local church was meant to be at the bottom of the valley. <laughs> not at the top. Amen. Not at the top of the mountain. And so we need to understand this. Curse is a strong word for a bitter, restless life. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. <laughs> you know, how many people you see that trust in themselves that actually are happy and content? Can never happen. There's just too many things out of control. As prideful as we can become, we, we, we still understand there are powers that are higher than, than ourselves. Making flesh your arm is making the things that are material your might or power rather than the Lord's arm, which is depending upon his power. So the flesh is my arm. The flesh is my power. The things that I do and accomplish and the things that I have in my bank account and my possessions, they are my power. <laughs> the Bible says, cursed are you if that is your power. Wow. So we know that being prideful is just simply living independent of God. It's simply just not trusting in the Lord. It's trusting in yourself rather than in the Lord. Pride is a danger to all men. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. It's a dangerous thing to have pride in our life. Pride will destroy your relationships. That's why many times I say, you know, when there's people, they, they have contentions, they want to cause problems, and they gather up on you, and they join up, and they say, we're coming together against you. You just give it some time, and that little group is going to go, push. Because when you've got a bunch of people with pride, you know what happens. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. That means that's where the contention is. If there's contention in your home, it's because there's pride in your home. If there's contention in the church, it's because there's pride in the church. 
Amen. There's contention on the job site. Oh, it never happens there. My goodness, that, my friend, is probably the most uh, uh, commonplace for contention is the workplace. And why is it like that? Pride. It's a battle of who's better. It's a battle of who's going to listen to me and who's more important and who's got more authority and uh, I've been doing this longer and all these things all but I, I, I. And when you get that kind of battle going, the only result can be a contention without, which ultimately destroys the relationship. So what is the Christian's duty in this? <laughs> you know, you can have one person with pride. That doesn't mean there has to be contention on your part. You understand, like Jesus Christ, you had a whole bunch of people that were full of pride. Enough pride that they would say, let's go and kill them. Let's go arrest them and drag them and beat them and cut them open. And let's do all these things to them and ultimately crucify them on the cross of Calvary. Yet that contention was one-sided. Never once did he respond to that contention. But our, our result or our response many times is uh, an equal attack back. And now we know that their pride is now seen in me as well. Humility is learning to take some of that and understand that you fighting back isn't really going to change your situation. It's just exposing the weakness in your own heart. Amen. What do I need to do? Trust God. <laughs> Trust God in the situation. You don't need to fight your boss or co-workers. <laughs> have, any, have any of you ever fought your co-workers and it actually helped? <laughs> Did it actually make your life better? Fought your boss and it made things better for you? No, but I told him, I gave him a piece of my mind and now he knows. Well, yeah, but what did that really do for you? <laughs> didn't help you, didn't bless you. In fact, now it's just one less person that people can call to get a you know, reference <laughs> for you. And you're going to make sure, don't call that guy, right? Be careful. Contention comes between people when there are two parties that are fighting for supremacy. It can be a battle of knowledge, it can be a battle of riches, it can be a battle of spirituality. It's born of envy. An envious person is a very proud person. When you want others to think that you are something, it's self-promotion. Anything self basically is pride. Self-esteem, self-promotion, all those things. Selfishness, that's pride. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, Provoking one another, envying one another is a command in the Bible that we're not supposed to. You should not envy other people. You know, it happens all over the place. It happens at home, in the job, it happens in the church. I've had, I have had to go through many headaches because of envy in the church. See, in the church, well, I mean, my goodness, in the Bible, you don't see more envy than that that exists within the context of Christians going forward for God. That's what sent Joseph to become a slave, was envy. His own family, they envied Joseph because he had these dreams. God favored him in some way. And because of that, his father favored him as well because it was also his favored wife that produced this favored son. And so envy was a result. And because envy was there, that's why they sold him into slavery. And it even says that in the scripture. Through envy, the brothers did that. Wow, that's a powerful thing. Can you imagine you know, selling your brother into slavery because you're envious? It's a powerful sin. And the Bible tells us 
uh, that we ought, let us not be desirous of vain glory. Now, why is it vain glory? Well, because vanity means empty. It's like a puff of air. It just, uh, I don't care if you're good at what you do. It really means nothing that you promote yourself. It has no impact on the world or anything else or on the goodness uh, that God wants to work in your life. How great you are at what you do means nothing. It's just something you ought to say, thank you, Lord, that at least I got a few brain cells left in my head that I can do something. And then use that for God. But don't walk around pretending like you know everything. Uh, You all know the people that are know-it-alls. And most of the time, people like that, they, they do it because they got some kind of an issue where they feel something about themselves, where they feel less than somebody else. When you have people that are battling through superiority complexes, it's usually because they feel inferior. It's not because they feel superior. They don't. When they're at home alone, looking in the mirror, they are, they are, they're cursing themselves. They are, they're actually destroying themselves. They, they're the ones that are calling themselves down, calling themselves names. You're so stupid. You're such this. You're such that. It's self-condemnation. <laughs> but then when you're in relationships, what happens is you want to make yourself feel better. And so you, <clears throat> you try to make yourself excel at something. And then because you excel at that, and perhaps you do, perhaps you've worked so hard that you do excel at that because of this inferior feeling that you have. And you're not as stupid as uh, you think you are, but yet it doesn't change the fact that night you still look in the mirror and say, you're stupid. You got all the degrees in the world and you tell everybody you do and they say, wow, you're smart. And you think that that would fix you, but it doesn't. (laughs) Because it doesn't. Lies don't get fixed that way. A lie doesn't get fixed by trying to fill it up with something, <laughs> you know. I'm going to fill up my inferiority with its superiority, and somehow that's going to fill up the inferiority, then the lie won't be there anymore. No, all it does is keep filling it up, and at the end of the day, you look at it and say, I still feel the same, and sometimes it even gets worse. Now, other people probably don't think that way, but you do, because <laughs> a lie can't be satisfied. The only thing that can fill up a lie is truth. You know, it obliterates it. In Philippians 2 3, it says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Wouldn't this just cure it all? <laughs> it really would. The Lord knew. I'll tell you what, if you just obey this verse, guess what? There'll be no problems in the church. I'll tell you. I will tell you this. This will cure all of our problems here if we would just. Obey what this one verse says right here. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Can't tell you how many times we have to deal with situations and the responses we get are simply because of vain glory. And I'm saying, I don't care about all of that. I'm just asking you a question. I just want to, I don't care, you know. But strife and vain glory, always want to lift up yourself. I don't want to make it look like I failed at something. Well, you do fail, and you fail all the time, you know? And I accept that, and you accept that about me. We, we, we do mess things up, so let's just go on, you know? Let's just go on and have a relationship and not let every decision that's being made or everything people ask you be some battleground to work out what you feel about yourself and or what you think they think about you. 
Many times it's perceptions. You think of what something per, somebody perceives you to be. And so you're always responding according to the perception that you think that people have of you. Just stop it. Just be honest and say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Or, hey, that'd be great. Or, you know, I, or I can't do that. <laughs> you understand? I can't be more specific. I don't want to <laughs> cause problems. It says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better. Now that goes in the face of self-esteem. <laughs> By the way, if you say things that will always tear people down, and some people are like that because they either grow up that way, they've either been trained that way by their parents, they hear it all the time in the home, always being torn down. And you almost do it, and it's not even on purpose. It's just an automatic thing where you say something and it degrades someone else because somehow it makes you feel better about yourself. But it doesn't, does it? Because at the end of the day, you still feel the way you feel. And not only that, you've hurt someone else in the, in the, in the meantime. And then someone says, hey, you hurt me. And now all of a sudden you've got an offense against that person because you did something to hurt them. Yeah. Happens all the time. Amen. Pride. Pride. It's a great thing to live in your life is just try when you're around people to esteem them better than you. Why don't you try that for a change? Instead of talking down about what you think they are not good at, why don't you elevate what they are good at? And don't do it to get them to stroke you. That's a whole nother message. <laughs> oh, you're so good. And the moment you don't stroke them, oh, now you're bad. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, now you're prideful again. It's just, just stinking pride from the beginning to the end. It's not about that. It's just about you loving others enough to lift them up in their strengths and they will do the same thing to you and that's just it, period. Yeah. Amen? And if they don't stroke you and they don't give you what you think, you, the first thing is stop always wanting stuff from people. Stop being such a wet blanket. Stop being such a, a, a needy person where everybody around you has to do exactly what you think you need done to yourself. And if they don't, there's something wrong with them. What's wrong with those people? Am I getting too close to home here? <laughs> Real quiet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> don't be needy. You, the only need you have is Christ. You've got the Lord. You don't need, you don't need every, somebody to come around you 24-7, stroke you to make sure that you're, you're feeling good about yourself. If you can't feel good about yourself with Christ alone, then I'm sorry, no matter how much someone strokes you, at some point they will not stroke you enough and you'll, be, you'll turn on them. Happens every time. And by the way, guys, if you think stroking somebody else is going to help them be your friend, they will turn on you. They will turn on you. <laughs> A friend is a friend because we're simply together in the work, trusting the same God, doing the same thing, and doing it with all of our heart. And if you're not there to do it, guess what? I'm doing it anyways. It's not dependent whether you're going to come and stroke the preacher. You're not here next week. I'll preach you an empty room. And we'll just start over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not based upon whether somebody is going to stroke your life. You get what I'm saying there? That's pride. That's pride. I, I, I. It's all about me. It's not about you. You need the valley gate. 
Rebuild that gate. It's a steep slope down. I know it's a little scary when you see the garbage at the bottom. But that's where you need to leave a lot of that stuff. In that pit. How to escape it. How to escape pride. The example of Nebuchadnezzar, I know we just went through Daniel, and uh, so there's a little bit of a reiteration of some of those things, but Daniel chapter 4, verse 28, says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? (laughs) Wow, what a stupid thing to say. What a stupid thing to say. He said about the worst thing you could possibly say in that moment. While the word was yet in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled unto Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like the bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. There is a difference between animals and men. Animals keep their eyes down. Men can lift their eyes up. Don't ever let anybody, let anybody ever tell you that there's a difference, that the spotted owl or the leopard or the, all these uh, uh, endangered species are somehow more important than you. They have no capability to lift their eyes to heaven. But I'll tell you, the moment this animal that was left there for seven years looking at the dirt for seven years, the moment understanding came, his eyes went blunk. <laughs> Straight up. Straight up. That means you've got a special place in the heart of God. You, you can with your spirit. You can connect with God. You can look him straight in the eye. And the animals don't know that. They're just scrapping in the dirt. I know you love your little doggy. I love our little Pippi. Good little dog. I've never seen Pippi look up into heaven. Dear God, give me that bone. <laughs> she gets it anyways. Spoiled brat. <laughs> And I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? (laughs) Oh, my goodness, what power he has. At the same time, my reason returned unto me, And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. I'll tell you something, God cured him good. Seven years crawling around in the dirt, in the manure. I can't imagine what his life was like. 
I don't know how it is he processed this. I don't know whether it took seven years and when the moment that understanding came, all of a sudden the processing came in just one split second. I get it now. I get it now. You know, there comes a time in our life where that may happen to us. It's good to get it before. In fact, the way to overcome or escape pride is number one is to hear and heed the warnings of God. Don't wait until the judgment comes. Heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. And you know what? Daniel warned the king against his pride. He had someone there to warn him. Just like you do tonight, someone to warn you. So tomorrow, you go to work and you start causing contention. Folks, you have no excuse. And if God would take away everything you've got, you would have to say, you know what? I deserve this. Amen. Daniel explained that God sets up the kings and tears them down. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to him that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Wow. I want to tell you something, guys. I hope you don't have that that bumper sticker on your car about Trudeau. Now I'm going to tell you something. I don't agree with Trudeau and I think that he is not a very good leader. Just as Nebuchadnezzar was not. But I also acknowledge that God put him there. So that gesture that's on that bumper sticker, is that to Trudeau or God? Because I think you'd have to probably say both if you have one. Because you have no submission in your heart and understanding that God is the one that setteth them up. God is the one that tears them down. And maybe we need to ask ourselves, why is it that we have this in our land? And maybe where it needs to start is not in his office. Maybe it needs to start in our homes. Amen. That's what humility does. Daniel explained that he was close to being judged by God for his pride. Verse 24, it says, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord. In fact, the Lord gave him the dream. (laughs) The Lord says, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, let me show you something. Daniel comes and says, Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you what God's telling you. What does he do? Stand up. This is all for me. Heed the warnings of God. That they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou knowest that, that, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Now, seven times, what does that mean? That means completion. That means perfection. That means it's done. It's finished. And so when, when, when he came to understanding Everything that needed to take place took place in Nebuchadnezzar's life to get him to see that God is the one that's in charge. So think about this. If you have not gotten to that place in your life, you've not reached the number seven yet. Well, I wish my life was better. (laughs) Well, then seven hasn't come yet for you. So maybe you shouldn't be asking for whether things are better because Nebuchadnezzar could have said the same thing at six years. I wish things were better. (laughs) Well, he said, the only problem is 
you haven't come to yourself. So stop asking for things to be better and start getting your life right. Make it complete. Let him complete it. Let him complete the chastisement. Let him complete the the understanding process in your heart and mind and give yourself to that and say, you know what, I do understand now, God. And you know what, I submit. And it wouldn't hurt for you every once in a while during a preaching, just get up on your knees and come to the front. What's wrong with our people anyways? We do not come to the front and bow our knees before our God. An old-fashioned altar. I sure hope it's not pride. Well, I don't want people to think that I got problems. Well, you do. And it's good for you to come and bow your knee. It's good for you at an old-fashioned altar to to show God that you're not too proud to to stand up and walk forward and bow your knee before your God. I'll tell you something today. The greatest things that God ever did in my life were because I moved out of my chair and came to the front and bowed myself. That's when things change. That's when freedom came. That's when the call became real. That's when I I was called to be a preacher. It all had to do when I was on my knees, not caring what other people thought. Amen. Amen. Well, you say, preacher, it's not about that. I just don't feel convicted. (laughs) My goodness, man. You know what church you're in, right? Where will you be convicted? If you're not convicted here, I'd hate to see what God would have to do to bring some conviction in your heart. Amen. You need a stronger preacher? Someone's really willing to whoop you between the eyes, you know. My goodness. He explained how close to judgment he was. Wherefore, O king, he says, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness. And thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. He said, these things are going to happen. In fact, they're already nailed down. This is going to happen. Daniel's saying, you know, it may just be, it may just be that if you'll humble yourself, that God will bring you a period of tranquility in your life and extend Extend it. How many times do we see that in Scripture? Many times. Even Manasseh, wicked king, humbled himself. God's okay. I'll, I'll hold off. Ahab, great judgment was proclaimed against his house, his children, everybody after him. He humbled himself. God's, ah, I'll hold off. <laughs> That's what Daniel's saying. He's saying, if you just humble yourself, it may may be that that God will hold off on what you need to learn. Think about that for a second. That'd be the best way to go at it, amen? Oh, well, I guess this is just the way it ought to be. That's an Eli. (laughs) Samuel said to Eli, hey, this is what God's going to do to you. Oh, well, the Lord spoke, whatever the Lord says. (laughs) Eli should have got on his face before God, humbled himself, and I wonder if God would have said, you know what, Eli... Maybe I won't let that happen to you. But he just accepted. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Lord spoke it. That's just the way it's going to be. No, you need to understand. The Lord says a lot of things. But the Lord also repents. He also repents. This whole thing about, oh, it's going to happen anyways. I guess I'm going to be destroyed anyway. (laughs) 
you're a fool. You don't understand that God responds to people. God responds to humility. It's amazing how God responds to a humble heart. It's almost a mystery to us. It's almost like, God, I don't understand why you would do that. I don't, I don't deserve for you to respond to me in my humility. He says, I know you don't, but guess what? That's what it's all about. It's about you just understanding. If you just bow down to me and give me all the glory, the great things I will do for your life. Wow, it's powerful stuff. We're warned of heeding God's word. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I mean, one thing, you come to church, say amen, yeah, I like that, it's great. But I'll tell you, what is your life like? Tomorrow morning, do you wake up and say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you today. I'm going to just obey no matter what anybody says or does. I'm just going to obey what you've told me to do. Or is it just a Sunday morning thing where I'm hearing it, preacher. Amen, preacher. Hear it, hear it, hear it. He says, don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. (laughs) Then it goes to say, deceiving your own selves. You know, you can lull yourself into a sleep by coming to church continually, listening to the word of God over and over and over, and even in your mind, agree to it, but go out and never do it. Many times. You know that in your own life, amen. But the Bible says this, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man that beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Many times it's like that. Preachers preaching, you say, I see this truth in me, and Lord, I'm just, oh, Lord, yeah, I agree. <laughs> but because you don't submit yourself, by the time, that's why I said it this morning, by the time you get out that door, it's like, what's for lunch? What's for lunch? (laughs) Amen. Power of the word of God. It's amazing. God can, Jesus can speak and the seas listen to him. The winds stop blowing. Even the devils tremble and he can cast them out into a, a herd of pigs. But a man, God speaks. Creation isn't the most disobedient thing. (laughs) We are. We are. Man, the waves obey him immediately. Just bam. That should be us. Immediately. (laughs) Well, I don't know if it's beneficial. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. If you're waiting for to see the benefit of obeying God, it's not going to happen when you're disobeying him. I'm just going to be disobedient because I don't see the, the blessing of God. Well, you won't see it until you do it. That's why there's no man that has ever truly surrendered to God and given himself to the things of God that ever truly goes back. You may mess up, you may make some mistakes, but you continue on. The righteous man falls down seven times and gets up again. The one that keeps blaming God for all their problems and you know sorry the only reason we're not being blessed is because we're not doing it 
We're not doing it. There's a judgment. Man's pride shall, be, shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 11.2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Nebuchadnezzar was brought low because of the pride as a warning to future generations. Everybody saw that. I see it. Here I am generations later, and I'm looking at Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, he was a dummy. He's saying, God says, yeah, you're a dummy too. You're a dummy too. That was so funny. We were playing a game yesterday. <laughs> One of the things we were playing this game where you ask each other questions, and you get a word, and you're supposed to get them to say the word without actually saying the word. So Madeline gets this one word and she says, something dad says when he's preaching. <laughs> uh, did somebody get it? I don't know if they did it. They did? Dummy? <laughs> I get a lot of a couple. <laughs> they went through the whole thing. Stupid. <laughs> Dummy. Thumbsucker was one of them. <laughs> the unrepentant, prideful people are destroyed. Pride goeth before destruction, haughty spirit before a fall. Learn to hate it. Learn to hate pride. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. If we fear God, we will hate those things. We'll hate pride, we'll hate evil, we'll hate arrogancy, we'll hate the evil way, the false way, the froward mouth, the harsh mouth. The perverse mouth. Nothing wrong with hating it when people talk filthy. Hate that. It's piggish. Like a pig in the mud. It's filthy. Got to watch it. Some of you guys that work on the construction sites and so forth. I mean, it can get pretty bad. I know, I worked for several years. Just because everybody else is a pig doesn't mean you should be one. Maybe they should see there's some lambs around. Amen. Let's not take on the the pig's uh, bad habits. Amen? Never commend yourself, but let God commend you. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Never commend yourself. The only one that that really matters is whom the Lord commends. You know? That's why, remember the, the aspect of uh, Korah in the wilderness there? Korah had this bright idea that, you know, Moses, you know, you know you're, you're not exactly the perfect person. I mean, I'm probably just as good as you. So then why is it that God wouldn't work through me as a leader? And so he commended himself. But that wasn't the question. The question wasn't whether Moses was good enough or whether he was great enough or whether he was smart enough or whether he was as smart as you or as great as you, that was never the question. The only question is, who does the Lord commend? That's what it's all about. So that's what God did. Let's have a test here. Everybody come with your incense and your, you know, let's, all, let's all show it in your rods and, and we'll, you know, we'll put the rods down and whichever one uh, butteth, that's the one that the Lord commendeth. The rod of power. And Aaron's rod was chosen, and it, was, it budded. And they put that rod in the Ark of the Covenant to remind them it's about who the Lord commendeth. The Lord chooses the leaders. You know, I'm sure there's people in this room that's probably better than me in a lot of things, you know. 
smarter and more spiritual and more this, more that. I mean, you just name it, whatever you think. It really doesn't matter. All that matters is that right here, God has chosen me for now. And he can take me out. He can move me on, raise up someone else. It's just the way God does it. Amen. But right now, that's just the way it is. And I don't think we want to mess with God's way. (laughs) You know, he works from the top down, not from the bottom up. Which means he's not going to use you to do it, (laughs) you know, as much as you want to do that. It's God that works from the top. So you got a problem with your leaders, you got a problem with your parents, you got a problem with this, your boss. You go to the one that's above them. You say, Lord, could you deal with that guy underneath you? Because I can't, because I'm underneath him. And I don't want to undermine my jobs. I don't want to undermine the church. I don't want to undermine my family. But I'm going to trust you to change the heart or whatever it is that I think the problem is. But that wasn't Cora's way of doing things. He says, I want to be the man. <laughs> I'm committing myself. Well, the Lord showed him real quick like, okay, I guess you got the committed rod. <laughs> oh, no, not so fast now. I just showed you who I commended, but now we got to deal with your pride. And so the earthquake came swallowed him up and his family and the people that were with him and people ran oh man i identified with cora shouldn't have done that and god sent burned him up oh you can't escape that you can't just run away hey when when someone kicks up in pride against the leaders of god and you're just kind of from the background thinking, like, oh, I'm just going to feed it from the back and nobody will really know that I'm involved. I'm going to tell you something. That was the reason why God showed us that it wasn't just Korah that got swallowed, but it was those that were on the outskirts thinking that, oh, boy, I got a little bit too close. And they started kind of like rats. Go. God says, I see you. You can't run. He will always deal with your pride. Even if you think you're hiding it from someone else, he knows you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. He can look right into the heart of Lucifer himself. He says, I can see what you're doing, Lucifer. And I will take you down. Boy, he should have listened to God. Oh, the pain that he has caused. Pride hurts and destroys and tears down and does terrible work and maybe sends some people to hell. Wow. Don't be a part of that filth. God will judge it. Learn to give God glory for everything. That's what finally Nebuchadnezzar got down to. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Lord, I'm so glad I got this cup of water. I'm glad you gave it to me, God. You made this thing. (laughs) Thank you very much. You are great. Thank you for this steak, Lord. Boy, that was good. I love it a lot. Thank you for that cow, Lord. You made that cow. You you own all the cattle on a thousand hills, by the way. Glory to you and to you alone. Amen. Glory to God. Everything. Whatever you do. Oh, God, thank you for this alcoholic beverage that's going to destroy my home. Oh, can't do that. Can't give God glory for that, so we won't be praying when we're drinking. Won't be talking to God when we're drinking. Won't be spending time with God. Surely won't be going to church when we're drinking. We're not going to do any of these things when we're drinking because I can't give glory to God in my drinking. (laughs) You got to do that behind closed doors where I don't have to worry about 
talking to God. Isn't that something? That verse says right there, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. <laughs> he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. As soon as you find yourself glorying in how great you are, just remember, eh. I tell my boys sometimes, boys, I know you're, you're strong, you're, you know, some of you are good looking. <laughs> some of you, well, these boys are going to go, to you, Dad, who are you talking about? I was kidding, none of you are. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm in trouble. They're going to gang up on me. But you know something? Somebody's going to tell me, hey, you keep talking like that. I know you're good at what you do. I know that you can accomplish those things. But remember, it just takes the touch of God. And you won't even have the ability to think, to form the strategy to complete your thought. All to the glory of God. Thank you, God, for giving me even a thought that makes sense. You know, give him glory for all things. Let's bow our heads. So Nebuchadnezzar did. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty dominion and power, both now and forever. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The valley gate. It's the first gate in the valley. The rest of the gates, the dung gate, the horse gate, the water gate, the fountain gate, they are all facing the valley. If I can't humble myself, how am I going to rebuild the next gates of my life? Maybe you need to get right. Maybe your pride has brought some real sin into your heart. You need to confess that before the Lord and say, Lord, I've done wrong. <laughs> Maybe you've been tearing people down you got to confess that before the Lord. He knows you have, but you need to confess it like you agree with him. Lord, I agree with you. I've, I've not been doing right. Or maybe you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to lift up others. Maybe I'm not used to that. Maybe I'm not used to lifting people up without wanting something from them. Maybe I just want to esteem others because I'm just so grateful for the people that God's given me in my life. I don't need a stroking. I don't need anything from you. I just want to say I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being loyal. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for just putting up with some of my weaknesses that I have. And thank you for praying for me. I'm so glad you're a part of this church. That's the kind of heart we need here. That's not a Nebuchadnezzar heart. 